Confess I'm an addict, a meditation junkie. <laughs> it's just beautiful being able just to let go and relax and be peaceful. So it's well worthwhile. If you can't do it yet, persist. Because when you learn how to do this, it's so brilliant. It's not that hard to do. Okay, people are coming in now, which is also brilliant. And so, for those of you who don't know that I, after the last Friday night's talk last week, following morning at 4 a.m., left for the Indonesia, just came back this afternoon, about 4.30 from Indonesia. So, by all accounts, I should be totally exhausted. I did six cities and six days, six talks. In all these really big talks as well, many thousands of people, because I'm extremely well known in Indonesia. And it's not just the Buddhists, it's the Muslims, the Christians, everybody comes and joins in, the Hindus as well. Last night in Denpasar, all come in and listen to my talks. It's always great fun. Uh, because one of the things, just to let people know, is they were, <laughs> I was telling them how well my uh, latest book did in Germany, where it got to number three on the, the national bestseller list over there. That's the Good, Bad, Who Knows book. And he said, yeah, yeah, it's the same in Indonesia. He says, your books are number three, sort of in the, in the Grand Media books uh, store. It's a, a chain of bookshops, and so they're the biggest booksellers over in Indonesia. And he said, it's always number three. And I said, what beat my books? And he said, what beat what was number one was the Quran, what was number two is the Bible, and you're next. And I thought, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so I can't, I'm not going to try and beat those two books in Indonesia. But it was actually pretty impressive. And, you know, I never expected sort of to, to those sorts of things to happen. When I was a monk, I never expected to be giving talks to such a lot of people. Actually, the crowd tonight is very small <laughs> compared to what was happening in Indonesia. 3,000, 2,500 people last night and 1,500 people uh, at the talk. So you don't expect that. What's a monk doing being so sort of popular like that? So the talk this evening is actually expectations and just how limiting they can be when you have expectations. So, I have no expectations. I'm in here for the ride and just, I haven't got a clue what's going to happen next in my life. But, you know, you go for the ride without any expectations, letting go, giving everything you've got to what you have. And you always have some very, very fascinating and interesting experiences. Like one night when I was in Indonesia, I was up most of the night, vomiting. <laughs> what happens when you travel, people are very kind, they give you all sorts of food, you don't know what food is the proper food for you. And it, and it happened when I was giving a talk, you start to feel the stomach start to move and move. And all these people were waiting for you to give an exciting talk like this evening. And afterwards to sign the books and just you know, have photographs afterwards. And I couldn't vomit while I was having a photograph taken with somebody. <laughs> but 
it's wonderful that how, as over the years of meditation practice, how you've learned to deal with this sort of stuff. And it's actually so easy with a bit of practice. Exactly what I was teaching you during the meditation period. You, you're aware of these feelings, you know, the rumbling in your stomach, and the feeling that there's something very, very wrong in there. What most people do, they get excited, they get sort of worried. But for me, I don't get excited or worried anymore. I just leave it alone and give it nights of kindness and kindness. So it just relaxed enough to finish off the signing of the books and then run to the room <laughs> and vomit. But even afterwards, you know, it's sometimes, you know, people get so much negativity to being sick. For me, I always look to the positive side of sickness. Because I was vomiting, it was at least that day I lost a bit of weight. <laughs> and it was you know, just interesting stuff to see what, you know, I got in my uh, tummy all the time. <laughs> and after a while it all just disappeared and vanished. But afterwards, with a very sore tummy, and tried to get a few hours of sleep, again I did exactly what I was uh, teaching you there. To relax the body, relax it, relax it, relax it. Until any of that pain, ache, or even the aftermath of a sore tummy just vanishes completely away. And because practicing this for such a long time, whenever you do have any pain or sickness, irritation, it's so easy now for me to deal with it. You feel it, that's the mindfulness, really aware of the irritation, the pain, the sickness, whatever it is, that's the mindfulness. And I keep saying mindfulness is not enough. You do need to have the kindness, that little extra thing which helps so much. You've got your focus right, now do something to care for this little body of yours. And so I give my little tummy some kindness. Oh, you poor little tummy. I'm sorry for putting that in there with you. I didn't realize what I was putting in there. I do apologize. Please forgive me. You know, I'm not your enemy. I love your little tummy. <laughs> Whatever it is, you treat it with kindness. And it's amazing just how it relaxes. You can actually feel it. And you feel it, you relax it some more, you feel it relax more, you give it more kindness and it relaxes and relaxes until it totally softens. Or just like this morning, walking out for breakfast, past the dogs in Bali. If you've been to Bali, there's always dogs around the place. Woof, 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 woof. So you give them kindness. Nice dog, you're fine. Woof, woof. Nice dog, woof. Nice dog. And then it calms totally down. That's like my tummy. My tummy was like this dog woofing at me all night. And I just calmed it down and calmed it down until it stopped barking. It stopped vomiting. And this is actually how you deal with this bodily problem. So the stuff you actually learn over here is really amazingly useful. And also just the other things which I remember years ago when I was in Indonesia that um, I was... Because my... My lifestyle is very, very weird. Fortunately, this time, actually, there was a, an American author who was traveling with me. He's going to write a book about this. You know, Ajahn Brahm in Indonesia. And uh, it's really sort of quite eye-opening to see like a Western monk being like a rock star and having all of these people coming up and you're signing the books and smiling for them. And, you know, for about two hours sometimes, a whole line of book, people signing books and smiling for two hours. And, I still remember this one time years ago where I thought, what the hell am I doing this for? This is not what a monk should be doing, signing books 
and smiling and sort of <laughs> having your photograph taken. This is not what I signed up for. I want to go into a cave and meditate. I want to just be simple. I just want to be, disappear from the world. And then I realized that that was my expectation when I first became a monk. And it's because you have expectations that you suffer. So in that one moment, in the middle of you know, signing about two hours of books, in that moment I decided, no, no expectations. Let go of all those things you imagined you should do once you become a monk. Let them all go and just be. Because in those moments there were so many people that were getting a lot of happiness and joy. And that was really what a monk should be doing. Giving happiness and joy in whatever way you can. It was service, it was giving. I got nothing out of this at all, instead just a sore arm. Two hours of signing books makes you sore. Two hours of smiling for photographs, that makes my jaw sore. And I did hear that uh, in Indonesia, in Java, the Buddhist monument, Borodpador, they have asked people to refrain, to stop taking photographs of that monument because all those flashes are degrading the stone. And now they're degrading me. <laughs> so, but then I thought, no, 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 no that's not the way that any sort of spiritual person, any wise, compassionate person should act. People were just, they were getting so much happiness out of this. And in fact, the, one of the stories I was telling uh, earlier in the car, because all my expectations get blown away when I do things like this. Expectations of thinking you should be tired after such really, really, you know, all through the day hard work, not much sleep. The expectations, if you believe those expectations, you're in the prison of your expectations, you can't do anything different and you're not free. But to me, no. Instead of expecting sort of to be able just to go back and take a rest, instead I was just with every person who was wanting their book signed, who was just happy to be with me and have their photograph taken. That was the most important thing in the world to me. And I remembered those great teachings of the Emperor's Three Questions, which often runs my life. If you want to know what Buddhism is or how to meditate, just keep it simple. Emperor's Three Questions, and now is the most important time. So to me, who cares at what time of the night it is, and I should be in bed, who cares? Now is the most important time, I'm going to be here. And the most important person is the one right in front of you. This little person who comes here who just wants a book signed. They are really, really important for me. And the only thing to do in life is to care. To care enough to smile for them and make the best signature you can. These days when I do Ajahn Brahm in the A, I do a smiley face in the A now. Just to make people look that tiny bit more happy. And it gives them joy. And that's a wonderful experience. I was telling people that on these talks, many Muslims come and you know that people, especially in places like Australia, Europe, United States, stereotype the Muslims and they expect sort of so much out of them. And this uh, one young lady come up to have her book signed and totally ruined my expectations of what a Muslim should be. Because she came up, she was a young girl in her hijab, 
very devout woman. So can you sign my book? And I said, yeah, I can. She said, she watches me on YouTube, great. She might be watching me tonight. But if you do, please excuse me for letting people know this. Because as soon as she signed my book, as soon as I signed, she, no, I signed her book. <laughs> I'm tired, come on. <laughs> as soon as I signed her book, she put her hand over her mouth and said, oh shit, he's signing my book. It's the first time I've heard a Muslim say, oh shit. <laughs> she was so excited, she's forgot herself. And so all my expectations of Muslims being different than Australians totally vanished. <laughs> Just the same. And this is an Indonesian Muslim, by the way. So when you give up your expectations of what a person should be and what you should be doing and how you should be doing it, you have this incredible freedom instead. Some, maybe a year ago, there's a person here in Noramara, just before the talk, they asked me this question. They were not satisfied with their life. And the way they put it was, they said, this is where I should be. And they used their hands to try and describe it. This is where I should be. This is where I am right now. And I'm trying so hard to move myself up to where I know I should be. It's caused me so much stress and difficulty in life. And that's where I said, okay, you know, I can understand your problem and the solution is very, sim it's very simple. Here is where you're supposed to be, here is where you are, and you're trying to push your, where you are up to where you're supposed to be. How about lowering where you're supposed to be to coincide with where you are? <laughs> and she got it straight away. She realized a problem. We're always trying to improve ourselves, to be better, to be perfect, to be successful. One of the things I was saying over in Indonesia was when I was young, I always thought you should be successful and then you can be happy. You know, get a nice partner, get a nice place, get a nice business, enough money in the back, bank, and then you can be happy. And then I found out by you know, a little bit of Buddhism, and, but mostly psychology, that they said that's the wrong. You've got to be happy first, get a job you really enjoy. And if you have a happy person, a good job, then you will be successful. Your career will take off. But then I realized both are totally wrong. Happiness is success. It doesn't lead to success. It's not a result of success. Happiness is that thing we call success. So if you're happy what you're doing, that is successful. Well done. You've made it already. Everything else is extra. Changes a lot of what you want to do. So that lady, this is where I am. This is where I want to be. She thought success was somewhere where she was not. So no, as soon as you're content where you are, now you're happy. Change your expectations to where you are. That is the difficulty in life. We have all these expectations of where we're supposed to be. I'll tell you where you're supposed to be in Dhammaloka Buddhist Center tonight, because this is where you are. So I always want to be where I am. And I lower my expectations because otherwise it's just far too much stress. But people say, how can you have achievement and progress in life? Oh, come on, we've got too much progress. Is it really progress, do you reckon, in our life? 
Yeah, we got more money, but less time. Yeah, we got more things, but less freedom. Yeah, we've got, uh, what else have we got? More, more headaches, more problems, more difficulties. We've got more information, but a lot of the information we see on the YouTube or on the TV or in other places just drives us crazy. It's just so terrible. They think what's happening in this world. So, has there really been progress? I think sometimes that the trouble with our world is, again, we're expecting something which we could never get, and we're aiming for things rather than enjoying where we are. Okay, it's good to work, to improve, but we really do need to spend more time appreciating how far we've come. To actually spend more time just appreciating our own beauty and the beauty of the people which are around us. But unfortunately, you know, we were always expecting perfection. And I, I was spending a lot of time talking about this idea of perfection in our world. What is a perfect monk? What is a perfect wife, a perfect husband? Perfection is what you perceive with your head, with your brain, with your intellect. And you'll find that you will never be able to see or reach perfection in this world. But there's something else, you'd never find a perfect partner. Your idea of a perfect partner is very much in your head. A perfect government, even a perfect Dhamma talk, you will never find. Because such things don't exist, it's from your head. Instead we have an alternative to perfection, which I call beauty. Beauty is what you see with your heart. And it's totally different from perfection. Going around Indonesia, even like last night, Denpasar in Bali, full of traffic jams, full of litter, is far from a perfect, uh, perfect city anymore. But it's still beautiful. Perfection and beauty are two different things. And if you can know the difference, and go for beauty rather than for perfection, you'll find that you can find a partner and live so happily with them. They may not be perfect, but you can see they're beautiful. And I don't mean in their face, I mean in their heart and their character. You can see the beauty inside of them. And it's the same with you. You will never be perfect, as I will never be a perfect monk. I'd always tell bad jokes, but that's what makes me sometimes beautiful. And here's the bad joke for today. I hope I never said this last week about the man who bought his wife a very expensive diamond necklace. Did I say this last week? He bought his wife a very expensive diamond necklace and she never talked to him for six months afterwards. And his friends said, that is just so ungrateful. You know, you bought her this expensive, beautiful diamond necklace and she won't even talk to you and it's six months has gone past now. He said, yes, that was the deal. <laughs> so, it's not a perfect joke, it's probably people get offended on that, but it's, it's beautiful, <laughs> it makes people laugh. So <laughs> when you 
it changes the difference between understand the difference between perfection and beauty. Perfection is what we try and expect. But beauty happens when we don't expect anything. And we just open our eyes to see what's there. And we find there's so much beauty in this world when we stop expecting things. So when you look at your partner, stop expecting so much from them. And instead, sort of see their beauty. Don't even try to make them perfect. It's impossible. You've been trying years to do that. It never works, but you can always see beauty in people. And the wonderful thing is, once you start to see beauty in people, they actually move into closer to perfection. They, they defy your expectations and become amazing people. Remember all the prisoners which I taught? They were far from perfect people, but they were beautiful. I remember there was, <laughs> actually today, on the flight coming back, flew back from Denpasar on Air Asia, and the guy sitting right behind me was a bikey, a big guy. He's obviously been on holiday in, in, in Bali, because he had this big tattoo on his arm, coffin cheaters. A big on his arm, he's a huge guy, and he was sitting right behind me. So I decided I'm not going to recline my chair to have a sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I've got enough wisdom and sense not to do things like that. But these guys, sometimes we have all expectations and stereotypes. And I always remember that years ago that there's one of the mothers of a bikey. You know, called me because her bikey friend had died in an accident, which you know, happens driving the bike too fast, or I don't know if it's on drugs or whatever, but actually hit a, a telegraph pole and died. And the telegraph pole didn't do very well either, but they had to do the funeral, uh, funeral for them. It's the only time I've ever done a, a bikey funeral. And now, it's an amazing experience because usually in funerals people actually dress appropriately, but in the bikey funeral, all the bikies there, they're in their leathers and their patches, and all, all their girlfriends came. And honestly, this was actually in Fremantle Crematorium. They came had such short skirts and low-cut blouses, you can see their boobs and everything. It was like they were going to a, a nightclub, and it was supposed to be a funeral. But that's just bikey culture. <laughs> so I was very, very careful to say the right thing. And <laughs> but afterwards, I gave a nice funeral service because it's stereotyping. You expect, you know, people to be like this and be like that. But afterwards, I didn't have any expectations. And afterwards, they were such very polite, gentle to me. They said, "Thank you, sir. That's a beautiful service. Thank you, sir. That was wonderful what you said. Thank you. We'll remember that." And all my ideas of bikies went totally out the window. And as you actually meet and see and discuss with them. I don't know what you read in the newspapers, but these are human beings as well. Because at that time I could see the beauty in them. And when you see the beauty in them, rather than looking at perfection, no expectations, it's amazing how you can actually relate to a person, connect with them, and maybe just you know, solve any problems in them. Because that's the next thing, that once you see the beauty in things, things get better in this world. I always uh, I despair when people protest too much or get angry 
and so critical, focusing on one part of a government or one part of a person or one part of themselves, which is obviously no wrong, needs to be fixed up. But please put it in, in uh, focus. In Australia we live in a pretty good country. Yeah, there may be some corruption in this part of the government or that part of uh, society, but people are pretty good. They're not perfect, just like us. And so, whenever I meet politicians, whenever I meet big business people, you know, I always look at their beauty. And it makes them to be a better politician, a better CEO, a less corrupt, a less self-serving. If you see the beauty in other people, that actually increases their performance. If you see the beauty in this world, rather than always seeing the things which are wrong in it, the world gets a much better place. How many years, decades, centuries, have we been trying to fix up the problems, you know, with aggression, trying to force people to see the, the nonsense in what they're doing and how they're behaving, because we've got all these expectations of them, and expectations of this world, looking for perfection, rather than seeing the beauty. When we let go of expectations, and see the world as it is, see the person as they are, see their beauty. That makes for a far better world in which we can live. So, I always try and catch myself, please Ajahn Brahm, don't expect too much of yourself. But see, you know, the kindness and the beauty in this world, in yourself, in others. Even the monks with whom I live, they're far from perfect. <laughs> and sometimes some of the things they do, oh my goodness, what do you do that for? But I always look upon them as very, very beautiful companions and wonderful people to live with. And if I try to make them into perfect monks, I think they would all leave. Those of you who know our monks, know our nuns, they've all got their own different characters and different ways of doing things and stupid things which which they do sometimes. I'm just trying to think of some of the stupid things which our monks have done over the years. Well, actually, let's, let's start with me, the stupid things which I have done. Somebody just showed me some of the photos of the early days at Bodhinyana, and it reminded me that when we built our kitchen, after, you know, I did a lot of the work on that, the building the dining room, kitchen, the lower building there, and when you do brickwork, you have to sort of acid the walls to clean up the marks of the, uh, of the cement. So I was working all morning, just brushing all the walls with acid to actually to clean them, to make them look good. It was time for lunch, so we went out for lunch. And uh, we had, uh, the lunch was given by, uh, I don't mind saying the name, some of you know that uh, Ben Anson, and uh, his wife Yupa brought the lunch and with their two daughters, oh, they only had one daughter, just a newborn baby. And after giving us the lunch, their baby sort of pooped in, the, uh, in their, um, their diapers. So she had to take it off, was looking for some water to wash her bottom. And what did she use? <laughs> the acid. <laughs> this poor little girl started screaming. It didn't really hurt her because it was all watered down. It wasn't like concentrated. But she certainly went red. <laughs> but it did the job. It really cleaned her backside. 
<laughs> Sterilized everything. <laughs> but you know, even those are sort of ridiculous memories. They're that those are the things which go wrong. They make the beauty in life. That actually makes life lovable. It makes it human. It's that story about the forest I keep saying every other week. No perfect tree in the forest, but there's many beautiful trees. What is a beautiful tree? It's not perfect, but it's got character, it's real, it's got life. You lower your expectations of what a forest should look like and see a real one, and it's beautiful. Human beings, lower your expectations, what they really are like, and it's really beautiful, and you can be content and happy. What is life really like? One of the things which I learned from living in a very, very, very small apartment with my mother, my father and my brother, I remember always seeing my mother and father arguing. They were arguing. And sometimes they'd argue so much they wouldn't speak to each other for about an hour or two. And then afterwards they'd make up. I saw that as a little kid. So straight away, I learned my expectations of mother and father being perfect are just ridiculous. My expectations that a mother and a father would love each other 24 hours a day, sort of <laughs> three, six, five days a year, is just a stupid. But what I did see that, yeah, arguments happen. And they're beautiful, especially when you see them making up. It's as if the arguing was worth it, to see the just the tenderness and the beautiful forgiveness of two people who wouldn't speak to each other for a couple of hours, coming together and reconciling and making up. That was really beauty. So I learned about what family life was by seeing that. And it was so wonderful, my parents argued in front of me. They didn't do it behind closed doors, because I could see it. It was so wonderful, they reconciled in front of me and my brother, so we could see it. It wasn't hidden. So my expectations of life were actually lowered to reality. And the beautiful part of it was that when people accept the reality, then they can make up and they can have some beauty in life. So if you think you should be up here somewhere and you're down here, the only solution, honestly, you can try all your life trying to push yourself up. Come on, work harder, try harder. Be a better meditator, be a better monk, get some new stories, tell some new jokes. Actually, it was a new joke today, so that was amazing. That was, just, that was beyond my expectations. <laughs> and so lower yourself, lower your expectations to reality, and then you see the beauty in your family, in your country, in your life, even in your health, so you're not so well. That's life. So we, we accept sickness. So I always say, there's nothing wrong with being sick. It's right being sick. Sick people's rights. <laughs> well, like, in Indonesia, the whole, they always have a theme. The, the theme for my series of six talks, six cities, six nights, was happy every day. I said, how can you be happy every day? Well, you know, okay, you can be happy every day and leave your misery for night time. <laughs> they said, no, no, I mean, happy every day and happy every night as well. But what happens if you're miserable? And the answer is being happy, being miserable. <laughs> Do you understand what I mean? 
It means that accept, you know, being down in the dumps, not feeling so good, not feeling happy today, feeling grumpy. Accept that's part of life and be happy to be grumpy. And that is not just some sort of smart-ass way of sort of trying to explain the way that sometimes people are not so happy. What is this doing? It's changing your perception, changing your expectations. Because people always think you should be happy and when you aren't, you're making a mistake, there's something wrong with you. So come on, get your act together, be happy. You're making a big mistake. But no, lower your expectations of life. And the days you feel grumpy, be happy being grumpy. This is my grumpy day. Grumpy people's rights. And when you're happy being grumpy, you can see the beauty in it. You know, sometimes there's a lot of beauty which people miss in life. Sometimes when people are grumpy, they can be really funny. <laughs> uh, what's this other cartoon? Uh, no, it's gone out of me now. So, uh, somebody supplies me with jokes but I'm a bit too tired to remember this one. I'll save this one for next week. It was a very, very funny one, made me laugh anyway. Ah, oh, that's, oh, that's right, they said it was, oh, this is, well, oh, here it goes anyway. They say, <laughs> if, uh, oh, this is, that's right, if, uh, if a man is not married, he's called a bachelor. If a woman is not married, she's called a genius. It was for a feminist. <laughs> but, so, <laughs> some of you will object to that, some of you will find it funny. But you know that I find it very, very beautiful when you can tell stories and jokes and people laugh together. There's a really a beautiful thing about humour and happiness. So there's a, a happiness about uh, and beauty about sort of laughing together. Because what it does is we take away the seriousness of life, we take away the pain and the, the striving to make it a better place and we can realise this is a human condition, we're laughing at ourselves, we're laughing at the human condition, we're actually lowering the expectations, stop trying to fix things and appreciate things. Because that's what expectations do. As long as you have an expectation of what it should be like, then you always have a lot of striving, a lot of fixing to do. I don't know how many of you have, in your past have tried to fix your partner. It never works. And these days people try and fix themselves. And that doesn't work either. Huge self-improvement industry, which I always object to. Self-improvement. Now, who's, who says you need improving? Who is competent to judge that you're not good enough? Why did you buy into that idea you're not good enough? So, I don't know where it came from, but many of you have brought that idea you're not good enough and you need to be improved. <laughs> and I come along and say, no, you're perfect enough. You're more than good enough. You're not perfect, but you're beautiful. And I don't want you to change. What would the world be like without a Donald Trump? <laughs> He's needed to get you to laugh and just to see the stupidity of humanity. <laughs> so, so thank you, Donald. Without you, I wouldn't have had so much interest in the US election and so much laughter. Mm. <laughs> so. 
You can see sometimes the beauty in life when we stop trying to fix things and see the beauty in yourself when you're trying to fix yourself up and change yourself. Which means that we can find more peace and happiness in life. So, what expectations do you have? You ask yourself those. And expectations, as the word actually means, means ex, out, specter, which means looking outside of this, looking outside of yourself. An expectation is the direct opposite to inspectation. To inspect, to see what's actually going on now. Don't look out there. Look inside. You know, this life, this uh, moment, this day, this person, yourself. Look inside and see what's there. And you usually find, if you look inside and see what's there, with a bit of compassion, it's more than good enough. In fact, you can be extremely happy and at peace with yourself no matter what's happening. On another night when I was in Indonesia, there was a room and it was so many mosquitoes were in the room. So I was being bitten all night, another night without much sleep. So what did I do? So this is Indonesia, it's Asia. What do you expect? There are mosquitoes around. It's Asia. So I um, accepted the mosquitoes and I was kind to them because I thought to myself, well, you know, I don't work for my food, I don't cook my food and buy it in the supermarket. People come and feed me every day. So this is my chance of feeding the mosquitoes. <laughs> it was what we called in Buddhism dana, generosity. So now I know you know you have to work very hard, working hard, getting the food from the supermarket, cooking it for me, presenting it to me. Sometimes you come all the way to the monastery to feed me. So I thought now this is payback time. So mosquitoes, come on. <laughs> because I thought, look, they're gonna eat me anyway. <laughs> so I might as well give, come on, take, service. So <laughs> You had the choice like you often have in life. You can't change the world, but you can't change the situation, but you can change the way you look at it. And as soon as you change the way you look at it to something much more positive, like an act of kindness, an act of generosity, these poor mosquitoes. Because have you ever had thought about what a mosquito must feel like? You know, they're really hungry and they sort of come and land on a human being, it's really dangerous. Imagine you go to a restaurant and you don't know if you're going to come out alive. <laughs> That's what a mosquito does every time. So it's also, imagine those mosquitoes, you know, when they had me, they had all the time in the world, they could relax and drink as much as they wanted. Most of these mosquitoes, because they're so afraid of being squatted, they must probably have really bad digestion. They're so anxious to get it out of the way quickly and run away as fast as they can. But so now I gave them this beautiful kindness and time. Please have as much as you like. And I got plenty left in there. And my blood is pretty good. It's like holy blood. So it's like giving them a blessing as well. So when I thought like that, I didn't get upset and agitated. I remember what the Buddha said, it, you know, the body might be in pain, but the mind doesn't have to be in pain. Yeah, it itches and it just goes away after a few minutes. And yeah, I don't get dengue fever or, even in Thailand, I've got 
bitten by so many mosquitoes in many areas with malaria. I never got malaria or dengue because there's a lot to do with the way your mind is positive. No stress, which means you get you know, pretty healthy. So, stress out, worry, be anxious, ooh, then you're going to increase the likelihood that these you know, viruses actually just you know, take a hold on you. When you're anxious and have a bad attitude towards the unpleasantness of life, you know, that tenses you up. I think probably that affects your immune system, your immune response doesn't act as powerfully as if you've got a positive mind, which means the viruses actually take over and you do get these diseases, but I never do. And so what is happening there is the attitude of mind not only makes you more happy when these things uh, occur, you can see even the beauty in them, you have fun with them, and it also means that you, you keep healthy. So when you see the beauty in things, rather than perfection, you usually actually improve your, your quality of life, your health and everything else. So please, in your life, lower your expectations of the other people you live with, and especially yourself. To see that you're perfect enough, you don't need to be improved. You're good enough. And when you see that, all the things which you hope to achieve through improvement, you gain. You experience them. When you stop trying to improve yourself, you accept yourself and love yourself for who you are. All the things you wanted through improvement, you get. You know, the, the happiness, the health, the ability to love and be loved to other people. Why is it that sometimes people can't find a relationship together? Because they're just far too tense. They're not relaxed. They're not at ease with themselves or with life. They're not happy. If you lower your expectations of yourself, so you're happy with yourself, that comes across to others. You're a really nice person to live with. I lowered my expectations. That's why I spend every night with at least 300 people. I really should actually change my ways so I can have a bit more peace and quiet. <laughs> but the happiness, the joy, seeing the beauty, that is what is important in life. And that is what will grow a much better, happier, more harmonious world. When you expect other things of other people, rather than seeing their beauty, all you get is disappointment through expectations. You lower your expectations, you see beauty, you get happiness, and that is success. Thank you. Okay, see what we get here from overseas. Am I in trouble tonight? Okay. Ajahn, I have difficulty balancing, no expectations and my fear of being taken advantage of. I also struggle with expecting my partner to treat me as I would treat him. Please advise. Okay, my fear of being taken advantage of. Why are you afraid of being taken advantage of? What's wrong with being taken advantage of? I've been taken advantage of every day of my life. <laughs> and I encourage you to take advantage of me every other day of my life as well. That's the meaning of my life, to be taken advantage of. <laughs> so I'd change it all around. What's wrong with being taken advantage of? 
Your job is to serve, to love, to open the door of your heart to others and give whatever you have. The way the Buddha said is when you give, it's like taking the, uh, the light from a candle. You take a candle which is not lit, you put onto a lit candle, you take the flame away, but the flame on the original candle is still there. You don't lose by giving. In fact, you probably get more. Expecting your partner to treat me as I would treat him. He probably says the same. I wish my wife would treat me as I treat her. <laughs> no, look. Expecting your partner to treat me as you would treat him. With that relationship, oh, I actually heard another nice little story when I was over there from another monk. You know the story of the three rings of marriage, which I've said before? You know the three rings of marriage, the original story was you know, the, wed the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and then comes the suffering. But, <laughs> there was a much more positive, the three rings of marriage, which was the care ring, share ring, and offer ring. Much more positive, three rings of marriage, which I'm going to use in the marriage ceremonies I do from now on. So it's care ring. And who do you care for? You care for us, the institution. And you share. And also part of that is offering. Offering yourself into the marriage. Giving, that's part of things. So, expecting your partner to treat me as you would treat him. You have to let go and lower your expectation of your partner. And then, instead of looking at him as being imperfect, or her as being imperfect, then you can actually see their beauty. And once you see their beauty, they see it themselves, and that's what they show you back. And then there's no problem in your relationship ever again. See the beauty in another person first, if you want them to show you their beauty. Ajahn, you have taught us before not to have so much expectation from our kids, but it's hard, so hard not to do it. If I let go of that, my kids might think I don't care about them. Please help, Ajahn. You know, caring and expectations are actually opposite. You know, when you expect something of your kids, you don't care for who they are right now. You want them to somehow, sometimes be different. So you can say to your kids, again, what my father said to me, kids, no matter how much you achieve or you don't achieve in this life, no matter how you turn out, you know, I'm still your mother, I'm still your father. The door of my heart will always be open to you. I will always care for you. You don't have to do well at school to please me. If you do well at school, that's great. But you don't have to do that. I will still love you, I'm still your mom, even if you don't do well. That is encouragement, that frees. And you'll find that that kid usually does far, far better when you give it that care. Last question, or oh, from Indonesia. What is your opinion about expectations versus dreams and goals? Should we always strive to be better and higher to achieve our goals or just be happy with our current situation? Oh, I've seen so many people strive to be better and strive to get these big goals and just screw themselves up and screw their life up and screw the world up as well. And so, 
all of those dreams and goals you have, what are you really trying to achieve? What is the real goal of life? The real goal of life is you know, happiness, peace, to be at peace with yourself, with other people. How much do you need to be able to do that? How much you need to, to change to find a beautiful partner in this world? What does actually love mean? Is it a goal which you actually have to strive for? Or is it what happens when you stop striving and accept the person you live with for who they are and respect them? And I think that's where the love comes from. When we try and change a person, we lose our love. When we care for them as they are, and appreciate their beauty, not being perfect, and I think we can have a happy world. So I never dream that all the trees in the world will be straight. It would be a terrible world if all the trees were straight. I enjoy them, big crooked, it's beautiful. And I will not go and straighten every, every tree in this world, as I will not go and straighten every human being. I care for them, see the beauty of them as they are. So like the striving and the goals is more like you know, the games the kids play, the video games. Not really important, it's a game which people play, trying to achieve this and achieve that. But really, the real life is what happens when you're not trying to achieve something. Okay, that's it for tonight folks. I hope it made sense. If it did, that's beyond my expectations because I'm totally exhausted. <laughs> I should not be able to give a talk at all tonight. <laughs> Haven't slept for quite a few days. So anyway, uh, any questions from the floor? Great. Oh, there is. Oh boy. Go on. Hi. Uh, thank you, Ajahn, for the wonderful meditation today. I had a great meditation after a long time. Um, I, I, I was uh, pretty... I disappeared pretty much all of myself, but then when I came out of the meditation, I realized that um, I seem to be watching something like a TV where characters are not known to me. Uh, there's a film going on while I'm absent as myself, as the person I know. Yeah. So I'm not there, but there's a movie on. And um, this has happened to me before in meditations as well. So I never go into a blankness of the mind, but I tend to... S there seems to be a flow of, uh, of okay. life within... Uh, in my absence as well. Okay. So the, don't worry about that because that's probably a good sign. You know, it means that uh, you're having what we call, you know, just the mind just playing around, having a bit of fun, creating a weird movie, strange stuff. Uh, okay, I'll tell you one of early days, one of the, the weird stuff which I had. Yeah, because I have really, really weird ideas. And this particular time, I was fighting a psychic battle with a Hindu saint, flying around the air, you know, levitating all over the place and zapping each other in my little movie. Really good fun. So I was enjoying it. Of course, because it was my movie, I won. <laughs> As usually happens. <laughs> totally egotistical. But in the, in the end, I realized it was just the mind needing to play. Let it alone. Be kind to it. And after a while, it just settles down and stops by itself. When it's had its little bit of exercise, it's fantasizing, it stops. But don't criticize it. Don't sort of um, think you've made a mistake. Be kind to it. Embrace it. 
and you'll find it slows down and stops and disappears. The more you react to it, the more you feed it, the more it goes. Okay. Okie dokie. Uh oh. Okay, in the back. Ajahn, what, what is the difference between expectation and inspiration? Okay, sometimes people start with inspiration and if they're not careful, it leads to aspiration. They want to do something and aspire for something. And that usually ends up in desperation when they find they can't get it. And then expiration. <laughs> We call it the four spirations. <laughs> so inspiration is brilliant if it leads to peace. But if it leads to you actually being too active, inspiration can go in two, two different ways. You can be inspired you know, to fight for some stupid cause like you know, the world domination by some religion. People actually get inspired to go to places like Syria. The inspiration which goes in the wrong, wrong area. So be careful with inspiration. If it's inspiration which leads to peace, which leads to some love and leads to harmony, then that's inspiration which you can follow. And it's a lot of time it's inspiration which leads to things settling down, not creating more, 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 more things to do. We're far, far too active in our world. We do too much. So inspiration, just like seeing the sun go down, it settles you. The end of a day, even the sun goes to bed and rests, metaphorically. So you should too. Okay. So that's the end of the questions. I'm <laughs> packing it up now. So let's... <laughs> About three times the Buddha Dhamma Sangha and then uh, you can do whatever. <laughs>